Now, when I was at Oakhill Bible College, uh, one afternoon, the sky went orange, really bright orange. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, everyone kind of stopped and they were looking up into the, the, the clouds and wondering what was going on, realizing it was really weird what was happening. It was really quiet, almost still. No one had seen anything like it before. Uh, what it was was uh, the sort of, I think it was the Sahara sand that kind of come over uh, and was mixing with the clouds and the sun, and it was like being on Mars. It was really bright and orange, the whole atmosphere was really strange. And sometimes when things like that happen, they're kind of too big to miss, everyone kind of paid attention to it. And I guess you can imagine perhaps if you were an Egyptian uh, at the time of the Exodus, you might pay attention to some of these things like happening. The river Nile turning to blood, suddenly being covered in rocks, and then swarms of flies, and then your cattle die, and suddenly you've got horrible boils all over you. Something big was going on, wasn't it? You wouldn't be able to escape noticing what was happening, or what was happening. We're going to find out uh, today as we look through these chapters. We've been looking through the book of Exodus from the start, uh, and we've seen God's people suffering in slavery. We've seen God calling Moses to be his prophet uh, and to tell Pharaoh to, to let his people go uh, and to, to face God and promise rescue. And a couple of weeks ago we looked at chapter 5 and Moses went to Pharaoh expecting you know, everything just to work out and it went horribly wrong. Things got even worse for God's people after that. And understandably perhaps Moses didn't want to go back uh, to see Pharaoh again. But we see in, in chapter 7 that God reassures him and, and commands him again to go. And we see, we, uh, if you were here last week, uh, looking at the start of chapter 7 uh, and verse 8, uh, Aaron and Moses go and they throw down, he throws down the staff and it becomes this, this big snake that, uh, that eats up all the magician snakes and just kind of a real, real warning shot to Pharaoh, really uh, something he needs to pay attention to. Uh, it was a way of insulting with the power that the Egyptians were worshipping and following. Uh, and they were saying to Pharaoh, look who's in control here. But he doesn't listen. His heart is hardened. And so we come to these chapters. What we see are these plagues unleashed on the nation of Egypt. Uh, we're going to cover the first nine today. So like I said, if you have read and advised advance, that's great. If not, it was good that Mark gave us a quick recap of the quiz as well. Thank you, Mark. Uh, but it's a good, I think, why have I chosen such a big chunk? It's because it kind of holds together as a section. You know, if we split it up, it, it wouldn't quite make as much sense as, as looking at it all together. So that's why I think it's really important when we do that. So we're going to begin with a kind of overview of the plagues, to think about their significance, the purpose of the plagues, and then what we need to, to take away from them. So firstly, let's think about this, the, the pattern of the plagues, the pattern of the plagues. Why don't we look at the, the start, seven, chapter 7, let's read what happens in, in the first plague. Chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding, he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he goes out to the river, confront him on the bank of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, by this you will know that I am the Lord, 
With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. And that is, of course, what happens as you read through. The reason I read that one, and the reason uh, we read the section of chapter 9, is because there's a, a real clear pattern to this, the, the whole sort of section of the plate. They're, they're all slightly different, they have these kind of common elements that, that, that go through them. Uh, so here's a little uh, example. It starts with Moses and Aaron going off to see Pharaoh. They go and say to him, let, let my people go, uh, let God's people go to worship him. Pharaoh refuses, and so God sends a plague. And God unleashes a plague on Egypt, and Egypt suffers. Suffers the, the, the awful consequences of that. Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron back and says, Please stop the plague. Please, uh, you can go if the plague stops. And God stops the plague. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened further. And he becomes more and more stubborn. And he still refuses to let God's people go. So that's the kind of general trend. And you see it kind of just gets worse and worse. And Pharaoh gets more and more stubborn. That's the general pattern. There's a couple of other things as well. You notice, as you read through, that there's a real distinction made between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Egyptians go on suffering, and God's people are the ones who are spared, obviously. They don't suffer the same. It's really obvious, perhaps, who is, is doing these things. Uh, as all of Egypt suffering these things, and all, they look at the Israelites, and the Israelites are okay, they're fine. As they get more serious, it's as if they, they're moving towards a showdown between Pharaoh and God. By the end, you'll see that actually only Pharaoh is resisting. Everyone else is saying to them, let them go. Can't you see that Egypt is ruined? Let them go. And he still refuses. So we've got this pattern laid out to help us think that God is at work. And when we see these things happening repeatedly, especially Pharaoh's stubborn hard hearts, it's important to say it's actually revealing the kind of spiritual battle that's going on here. So that's the pattern. But why these ten plagues in particular? Why does God use these plagues? What's the significance of them? That's my second point, the significance of the plagues. Uh, the first kind of key thing to note is this, that they attack the Egyptian religious system. They attack the Egyptian religious system. See, Egypt worshipped many different gods that they would call on for, for, for different needs and requests. You can see on the screen there the god Happy, the god of the Nile. Their, their source of life, their source of prosperity, everything they needed that to, to, to survive. And it was turned to blood. It's a real great picture of it. Their, their gods can do nothing. You've got Hecat, their god of water and fertility. See what shape the head is? It's a frog's head. And all of a sudden, there's these frogs pouring out of the mud, surrounding everyone and everything. Who's in control here? Hecate clearly isn't. You've got Hathor. You've got the goddess of love and protection in the, the form of a cow. But could, could not protect the, uh, the cattle from, from dying, could not protect the people. There's plenty more, and actually one of the more significant is Ra, the sun god. He, this was one of the most worshipped gods in all of Egypt. In fact, Pharaoh was known as the son of Ra, and he was worshipped too. So, for it to go dark, 
completely dark for, for three days. What do, you think, what do you think that's saying about you know, their, their, their kind of chief main god? And it just goes completely dark. There, there's nothing uh, that, that he can do. It's really significant. It's a picture of judgment, but it's also a picture of just God kind of systematically destroying any claims that their gods might be able to make. Reveals that they're just worthless idols compared to the sovereign power of God. They attack the Egyptian religious system. And then secondly, uh, they reveal God's complete control and power over creation. They reveal God's complete control and power over creation. This is kind of the other side of the same coin, I guess, in effect. Because if the Egyptian gods are not in control, then, of course, it's trying to show us the one who is in control. And that's what the play to they, they show us God's control over all aspects of his creation. We see that, don't we, as we work through, you've got the, the Nile turning to blood. You've got the frogs coming up. You've got God in control over the waters. You've got the gnats that says they come up from the dust of the earth. God's in control of the earth. You've got the flies and the locusts coming from the air. You see, all elements of creation are covered. Water, land, and air. And God's in control of them. When the livestock die, when, when boils break out on the people, it shows that God is in control of life and death and health. That's the reality. If God ceased to be in control of the universe, nothing would exist. Everything would, would cease to exist. God's in control. He's in control of the weather. He sends the hail. He's in control of, of how he provides for people. He, he's uh, the hail and the locusts destroy the crops. Destroying people's livelihoods. And he's in control over the light of the sun, bringing that deep darkness for days and nights. You see, it's a really big, comprehensive picture. Do you see that? That, that God is in control of everything. And it's as if, we're saying to, as if um, God is saying to Pharaoh, Look, can you not see who is in control? Can there be any doubt? There is no defense uh, against the forces that, that I have access to. That's the message that God is sending with these plagues. But what's interesting is actually if you, if you take them as a whole, you look at look at all ten plagues as a whole, what you get is almost like a, a sense of de-creation, like creation that, that was made by God, returning to what it was before. Remember how the Bible starts, Genesis 1 verse 2 says this, The earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In other words, there was this chaos that was there. And God brings order and light and life and land and water and sky and sun and stars and animals and plants and humans. He turns the chaos into a beautiful, wonderful, good order. And that's what we see when God makes the world. And here, when, as Pharaoh kind of sets himself up, as a God against the true gods, God reveals himself by almost turning the order back into chaos. You see, that's what the plagues do. They're reversing creation. The animals cause harm instead of helping people. Water becomes a source of death rather than a source of life. Weather destroys crops rather than helping them grow. And it ends with darkness. Darkness, like it was right at the beginning. 
A sign of deep judgment, a sign of impending doom, a sign of chaos, disorder, a really severe warning. And it shows us who is in control here. And especially as God's people are protected. It's just amazing. Can you imagine being there and seeing God's people walking around, not suffering any of these things, and just wondering, you know, why, why am I suffering this and they're not? It's very clear, isn't it, that the God that they're worshipping is the true God. It's a really significant moment in the history of the world. But what we could, I think, to, to, to look a bit more closely about what God says about why he brings them. What are the purposes for these plagues? So we're going to look at some of the reasons that, that God gives in these chapters. That helps us to understand, and then it will help us connect through to ourselves as well. So let's think about the purpose of the plagues. The purpose of the plagues. If you go back to chapter 5, chapter 5 and verse 2, remember this is the first time that Moses sees uh, Pharaoh. Here's what Pharaoh says in verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh is just very blunt uh, about rejecting Moses, rejecting the Lord's. He believes he's the one with the power. He's the one in control. He thinks, why on earth would, would I subject myself to, to the, the demands of these people? They're never going to be able to topple the might of Egypt. Bear that in mind. He doesn't know who the Lord is. Or look at chapter 7, verse 17. Look at what God says there. Chapter 7, verse 17. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord's. With the staff that is in my hands, I will strike the water of the Nile and I will change it to blood. Do you see what it says? By this you will know that I am the Lord's. We get the same in chapter 8, verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 22. On that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No storms of fires will be there, so that you will know that I am the Lord in this land. You see? It's one of the key purposes of the place is so that everyone will know who the Lord is. Everyone will know the Lord. That's what God says very, very clearly to Pharaoh. These plagues that are coming, they, they reveal to you, but if you have any doubt who the true Lord is, you might think that you're the God of this land, Pharaoh, but no. Actually, the true God is here in Egypt. In fact, he's the God of the whole world. The whole universe is under his control. Everyone will know the Lord's. Then we look a bit further ahead, go to chapter 9. There's a really key section, which is again where we read chapter 9 at the start. Chapter 9, verse 13, a real key purpose passage. Verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Well, this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped your fear. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You shall set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Did you see the purpose there uh, in verses uh, 14 to 
14 and then verse 16 it's there the plagues come to show that God is like no other that he is full of power full of glory there is no one else like God he is the creator everything else is created this is great distinction think about that God is the, the creator of everything and everything else that we know has been made by him created that, that was significant for the Egyptians. I mean, all of these, these gods that they, they maybe created statues of them and worshipped were created things. And he was the creator, sending a very clear message about who he was. He answers a common question in the that why didn't he get the job done quicker? Because surely a god of unlimited power, unlimited might, surely he could just act like this and rescue his people and judge the Egyptians. Verse 15, he said, Well, yes, I could have done that. And there's a reason that he didn't. It was to show his power, to make his name great, to show his glory, to make no mistake that no one could, could misunderstand who was doing this. And they eat it. But the great superpower at the time was that humiliated, ruined. Can you imagine the other nations surrounded the seniors maybe coming in to trade? And saying, What's happened? What, why is everything being decimated? Only God could have brought these things about. He reveals his glory through it. And ultimately, it gives his people great confidence in his power and his control. There's one other purpose that, that we see. Chapter 10, uh, start chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Have a look at this. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them. So that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I have performed my sons among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So you see, it wasn't just for the Egyptians, it was for God's people too. That's another purpose. So, so that all generations of God's people would remember his great salvation. All generations of God's people would remember his great salvation. It's really interesting that God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that these things would happen. To show God's people who their God was, how He knew their suffering, how He knew uh, everything they were going through, and then came and acted in great power to deliver them from it. That story of Exodus, as they were rescued, would have been passed on through the generations. God's people would, would be able to remember God's goodness and greatness when they were surrounded by powerful enemies, when they were exiled from the land. There was no need to doubt that their, their Lord was God. That nothing could come close to, to matching his might and his power. See, this section of scripture reveals God's greatness. So powerful. It reveals his power to us so clearly. So what do we do? What do we do with these facts? How do we, how do we understand them and, and what should they mean for us? Well, I thought the best way to apply it was really to try and ask ourselves some questions. Think about how, how we, how are our hearts responding to this? So three questions to apply for us. Firstly, do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? I think the plagues should leave us, just like it left the Egyptians and the Israelites, they should leave us with no doubt about who God is. He is the creator of all. Only he can do amazing things like these plagues. Did them to show the world who he was, 
to show the world what he could do. If you're not a believer here today, or if you're listening online later, do you, do you ask yourself honestly, do you really have another answer for why we exist, why the universe exists? We see him here. God reveals himself as creator. He reveals himself through his word, through messages like this, to help us see the truth that he is the one who has made everything. And we as believers need to remember that too, don't we? That God is not like us, that we can't sort of squeeze him down and put him into a little box of our own sort of definitions. He is the Lord of all. He is the creator. We are created. So we come humbly, we come reverently, we worship him, we praise him, because we know the truth about him. Secondly, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? We've spent several chapters, uh, spent time so several chapters running up to this point, but we just kind of see the people kind of faltering. Moses not quite sure what's going on, not really trusting the people complaining about their situation. And the question, I guess, is, is God really going to do anything? They've been suffering for so long, they felt like it would never change. But remember, God promised that he would, and now we see that promise coming true. God comes with great power to rescue his people. And do you see what that means? It means we can trust him. We can trust his promises, we can trust what he says and what he does, because we can have full confidence in him, in his promises, because of his great power and glory. Actually, passages like this can help us when things are really difficult. You know, I woke up on Thursday morning uh, to a message from my sister-in-law saying, "War has started in my country. Please pray with me." My sister-in-law is Ukrainian. She lives in Kiev with my brother now, but she has lots of friends uh, in the Ukraine still, and is heartbroken by what she's witnessing. And she lived in Odessa, which you see, you know, there's been attacks there already. It's truly awful. It's a truly awful situation. Um, my cousin lives in Moldova. He's a missionary there in Moldova. Uh, and we were praying with them. Thursday evening, they order onto the Ukraine. Uh, and they organized a prayer meeting on Zoom. Uh, and during that one hour prayer meeting, he, he got 1,000 messages asking for help from various refugees that crossed over the border from the Ukraine uh, into Moldova, looking for help, looking for someone to stay. He'd already got a family staying in his spare room before he'd got to Zoom with us. Uh, and a thousand messages in one hour. It kind of just, it brought it home to me, you know, the, the plight of uh, the people there. We, we need to pray. We desperately need to pray and support the we can. And we look at tragic, dire situations like this, don't we? And we wonder, why does God let this happen? We don't have the easy answers for that. We, we live in a broken world. We see and experience the, the horrors of sin and, and the effects of that so deeply. We feel it. And when we come to a passage like this, I hope it helps us see that we can trust the Lord even in these moments. Why did He allow His people to suffer for so many years in slavery? We don't know His mind is heart. We. we his ways are not our ways. But we do know that he knew their pain, and that he cared, and he acted, as we see here. We know that his promises of rescue are true, and that he promises hope and salvation and new life to all who believe in Christ. And there's hope there, even in difficult times. 
that God also promises that that vindication and justice belongs to him. We see God's justice in these plagues being poured out on Egypt who have treated God's people so badly. And there is comfort because we know that we will we will see the same with the Taliban in Afghanistan, with, with, with Russia's invasion here too. No one can ultimately escape God's justice, God's fair and right judgments, whether in this life or the next. So yes, it's really hard, but it's possible with the power of God's Spirit within us to, to find hope and to trust Him, whatever the cost, whatever difficulty we're going through. I read uh, an account of a missionary who was chosen to stay in the Ukraine uh, despite the, the war starting off. And this is what he says. He says, while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. Isn't that a staggering thing to be able to say when they're watching tanks roll down the street next? We offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. How long for faith like that? Should I be called to, to make those sacrifices to do, to, to do that? They need to say that. The unshakable hope that Christ gives me, the gospel, I won't hold that out to people, even, you know, whatever the cost. What a great testimony of trust, uh, and something we, we too can trust the Lord. And then finally, do you know his great salvation? And will you share it with others? That's what the Israelites did. They, they could pass on the story of the Exodus down the generations, their deliverance, their rescue. But we know, don't we, that the Exodus was just a picture really, of the ultimate rescue that was coming. And there was a much greater time where actually creation is used and then kind of undone to show God's glory. And that's the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus could use creation as the Lord. He walked on water. He, he calmed the storms. He fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread. Not destructive plagues this time, but, but miracles revealing who he was, why he had come, showing his compassion and his mercy and his strength. And as he chose to go to the cross, with our sin on his shoulders, that, that huge weight on him, it's as if creation groans at that moment. There's darkness there. There's, there's judgment. There's earthquake. You know, when the plagues left no doubt in Egypt about who God was, the cross leaves no doubt again about who Jesus was. The centurion in, at the end of Mark's Gospel sees everything and he says, yes, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely he was the Son of God. And then you get this amazing moment of recreation, not, not decreation, but recreation, because out of the kind of chaos of Jesus' death, he steps out of the grave. And, and death and sin are, are defeated forever. And we, we have the hope of a new creation. And this hope that as we trust in him, we long for the future. Perfection. It is proved beyond doubt. Jesus is alive. It means we can trust the Lord. It means we can trust His promises. When we see evil in our world, when we feel the pain of, the, of war and of suffering, we know that God Himself 
went through the worst suffering in order to save us. In order to have victory over sin and death and evil forever. So let me encourage you, if you've not already, well, whatever stage we're in, we come to him. And as we do that, we come and repent as we are forgiven. We're welcomed into his family. We have that hope of the new creation, free from suffering, free from evil, living with God for eternity. Such good news, such wonderful news to, to hold on to. So I hope you take heart from this today. And I hope that this passage gives you kind of fresh encouragement, fresh excitement about why you can live for the Lord, why you can trust Him. I think part of the application is just going, wow! How amazing that the God of the universe who created all of these things with such great power and might would love and care for, for His people and love and care for us. People like us. What wonderful news and an encouragement then to, to share with other people, to pass on to, to new generations, to pass on to those that we love around us, those that, that, that we know. Everyone needs to know the truth about whatever we face. So if you, if you didn't get a chance before to read through these chapters, I recommend you, you go and maybe do it tonight. Read, read through them. Rejoice at the wonders that, that God shows uh, and does to rescue his people. And that rejoice that means you can trust him. You, you don't need to doubt who he is. You can trust the grace that he's shown to you through the Son. You can find hope in him. So take heart. Keep trusting him. Keep following him. Let's pray. Loving Father, this is an amazing passage of your words where your power is so clearly revealed. And thank you, thank you that, that, that it also shows that you care for your people. And Lord, what glorious news that you sent your son to die in our place so that, that we can know that hope and know that security and know that trust for certain. And Lord, I cry out for people in Ukraine tonight, especially believers, Lord, probably just terrified and fearful and not knowing what tomorrow will bring, would you give them great reassurance, great peace, that they can trust you, whatever the future holds for them, whether, ne- whether tomorrow is the last day they have on this earth before they, they spend eternity with you, just give them hope and peace and strength to persevere. And help them hold out that unshakable hope to others at this desperate time. And please work and bring peace to Please be with us, Lord. Please help us know your grace in Jesus' name.